Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast for book four. Nope, wrong. Book six, chapter four. The guys from War and Peace in Seven Years, another podcast, another War and Peace read-through podcast, um, have posted on our subreddit about a quiz they've just released, a book two catch-up quiz. So um, if you're interested in doing a book two catch-up via a quiz on a podcast other than this podcast, uh, go check it out. I think um, I think it's just War and Peace in Seven Years is what you look up. Uh, and that should get you there. Or you can find that, that post via the uh, subreddit. Excuse me. Yawning mid-sentence. Okay. Anyway. Uh, book 6, Chapter 4. These were the discussion prompts. Did Andre... Did Andre's action and strategy in this chapter surprise you? Why or why not? Do you think his reaction to Rakhchev's displeasure is a reflection of his experiences in the past few chapters? Oh, excuse me. I did find it surprising how quickly he just got straight back into sort of military duty. Um, Ripster 66 says, Andre has finally has definitely matured in his thinking and especially to his reaction to things outside his control. He's calm and level-headed and not taking it personally when those in power don't bend over backwards to accommodate him. He also knows that the machinery of war is gigantic and his his reforms may take a while to find their place. Personally, I'm kind of stunned that he can just sort of saunter back into military life and recommend improvements even though he's been away for a while. Could the aristocracy just waltz in and out of the military like that? I think they kind of could in a way. He Remember, his father has a big name in the military. He was a big player. And even Prince Andre himself was quite a big military player. He was aide-de-camp of the commander-in-chief. That's that's a, that's pretty high up there in rank. Um, so, yeah, I guess he kind of could just go back. It is surprising, though, how you know how quickly he's just gone from not wanting anything to do with it to sort of submitting proposals on reforms. Twisted every way, said, I agree with the others. It's strange that Andre can just waltz in and out of the army and then send a project for approval. How does he know what's changed or not in the last few years? I think there's been lines in in the last few chapters about how he's kept on top of his reading. He's been doing lots of reading the whole time and that even when he had visitors from the city, he seemed to be better informed than they were on um, current happenings. Uh, regardless, says Twizzard every way, I agree that he seems much calmer and more realistic, this chapter. Even his little remark about not wanting a salary seemed like a bit of a joke reply. Maybe there's hope for Andre after all. Maybe, maybe, maybe. All right, now, oh, I don't have this book. I don't have the book opened. Project Gutenberg. Excuse me while I head to um, book, what are we, book six, chapter five. There it is. All right. Goes, oh God, it's a long chapter. Here we go. Chapter five. 
While waiting for the announcement of his appointment to the committee, Prince André looked up his former acquaintances, particularly those he knew to be in power and whose aid he might need. In Petersburg, he now experienced the same feeling he had had on the eve of a battle when troubled by anxious anxious curiosity and irresistibly attracted to the ruling circles where the future on which the fate of millions depended was being shaped. From the irritation of the older men, the curiosity of the uninitiated, the reserve of the uninitiated, sorry, the reserve of the initiated, the hurry and preoccupation of everyone and the innumerable committees and commissions of whose existence he learned every day, he felt that now in 1809, here in Petersburg, a vast civil conflict was in preparation, the commander-in-chief of which was a mysterious person he did not know, but who was supposed to be a man of genius, Speransky. And this movement of reconstruction, of which Prince Andrei had a vague idea, and Speransky, its chief promoter, began to interest him so keenly that the question of the army regulations quickly receded to a secondary place in his consciousness. Prince Andre was most favourably placed to secure good reception and in the highest and most diverse Petersburg circles of the day. The reforming party cordially welcomed and courted him, in the first place because he was reputed to be clever and very well read, and secondly because by liberating his serfs he had obtained the reputation of being a liberal. The party of the old and dissatisfied, who censured the innovations, turned to him expecting his sympathy in their disapproval of the reforms, simply because he was the son of his father. The feminine society world welcomed him gladly because he was rich, distinguished, a good match, and almost a newcomer with a halo of romance on account of his supposed death and the tragic loss of his wife. Besides this, the general opinion of all who had known him previously was that he had greatly improved during these last five years, having softened and grown more manly, lost his former affectation, pride and contemptuous irony, and acquired the serenity that comes with years. People talked about him, were interested in him, and wanted to meet him. The day after his interview with Count Arakchev, Prince Andrei spent the evening at Count Kochubey's. He told the Count of his interview with Sila Sila Andreevich, Kochebay spoke of Arakchev by that nickname, with the same vague irony Prince André had noticed in the Minister of War's anteroom. Monsieur, even in this case you can't do without Michael Mikhailovich Speransky. He manages everything. I'll speak to him. He has promised to come this evening. What has Speransky to do with the army regulations? asked Prince André. Kochebay shook his head smilingly, as if surprised at Bolkonsky's simplicity. We were talking to him about you a few days ago, Kochebay continued, and about your freed ploughman. Oh, is it you, Prince, who have freed your serfs, said an old man of Catherine's day, turning contemptuously toward Bolkonsky. It was a small estate that brought in no profit, replied Prince Andrei, trying to extenuate his action so as not to irritate the old man uselessly. Afraid of being late, said the old man, looking at Kochebay. There's one thing I don't understand, he continued. Who will plough the land if, land if they are set free? It is easy to write laws, but difficult to rule, just the same as now. I ask you, Count, who will be heads of the departments when everybody has to pass examinations? 
Those who pass the examinations, I suppose, replied Cochabay, crossing his legs and glancing around, while I have Priancinovic serving under me, a splendid man, a priceless man, but he's sixty. Is he to go up for examination? Yes, that's a difficulty, as education is not all general, but... Count Cochabay did not finish. He rose, took Prince André by the arm, and went to meet a tall, bald, fair man of about forty, with a large, open forehead and a long face of unusual and peculiar whiteness, who was just entering. The newcomer wore a blue swallowtail coat with a cross suspended from his neck and a star on his left breast. It was Speransky. Prince André recognised him at once and felt a throb within him as happens at critical moments of life. Whether it was from respect, envy, or anticipation, he did not know. Speransky's whole figure was of a peculiar type that made him easily recognisable. In the society in which Prince André lived, he had never seen anyone who, together with awkward and clumsy gestures, possessed such calmness and self-assurance. He had never seen so resolute yet gentle an expression as that in those half-closed, rather humid eyes, or so firm a smile that expressed nothing, nor had he heard such a refined, smooth, soft voice. Above all, he had never seen such delicate whiteness of face or hands, hands which were broad, but very plump, soft, and white. Such whiteness and softness Prince André had only seen on the faces of soldiers who had been long in hospital. This was Speransky, Secretary of State, reporter to the Emperor, and his companion at Erfurt, where he had more than once met and talked with Napoleon. Speransky did not shift his eyes from one face to another, as people involuntarily do on entering a large company, and was in no hurry to speak. He spoke slowly, with assurance that he would be listened to, and he looked only at the person with whom he was conversing. Prince André followed Speransky's every word and movement with particular attention, as happens to some people, especially to men who judge those near them, near to them severely. He always, on meeting anyone new, especially anyone whom, like Speransky, he knew by reputation, expected to discover in him the perfection of human qualities. Speransky told Kochebay he was sorry he had been unable to come sooner, as he had been detained at the palace. He did not know... Sorry, he did not say that the emperor had kept him, and Prince Andre noticed this affectation of modesty. When Kobache introduced Prince Andre, Speransky slowly turned his eyes to Bolkonsky with his customary smile and looked at him in silence. I'm very glad to make your acquaintance. I heard of you, as everyone has, he said after a pause. Kochebe said a few words about the reception Eric Chief had given Bolkonsky. Speransky smiled more markedly. The chairman of the Committee on Army Regulations is my good friend Monsieur Magnitsky, he said, fully articulating every word and syllable, and if you like, I can put you in touch with him. He paused at the full stop. I hope you will find him sympathetic and ready to cooperate in promoting all that is reasonable. A circle soon formed round Speransky, and the old man who had talked about his subordinate, Priyanchichin, Priyanichnikov addressed a question to him. Prince Andrei, without joining in the conversation, watched every movement of Speransky, this man, not long since an insignificant divinity student, who now, Bolkonsky thought, held in his hands those plump white hands the fate of Russia. Prince Andrei was struck 
by the extraordinarily disdainful composure with which Speransky answered the old man. He appeared to address condescending words to him from an immeasurable height. When the old man began to speak too loud, Speransky smiled and said he could not judge of the advantage or disadvantage of what pleased the sovereign. Having talked for a little while in the general circle, Speransky rose and coming up to Prince Andrei took him along to the other end of the room. It was clear that he thought it necessary to interest himself in Bolkonsky. I had no chance to talk with you, Prince, during the animated conversation in which that venerable gentleman involved me, he said with a mildly contemptuous smile, as if intimating by that smile that he and Prince Andrei understood the insignificance of the people with whom he had just been talking. This flattered Prince Andrei. I have known of you for a long time, first from your your action with regard to your serfs, a first example of which it is very desirable that there should be more imitators, and secondly because you are one of those gentlemen of the chamber who have not considered themselves offended by the new decree concerning the ranks allotted to courtiers, which is causing so much gossip and tittle-tattle. No, said Prince André, my father did not wish me to take advantage of the privilege. I began the service from the lower grade. Your father, a man of the last century, evidently stands above our contemporaries, who so condemn this measure, which merely re-establishes natural justice. I think, however, that these condemnations have some ground, returned Prince André, trying to resist Speransky's influence, of which he began to be conscious. He did not like to agree with him in everything, and felt a wish to contradict Though he usually spoke easily and well, he felt a difficulty in expressing himself now while talking with Speransky. He was too much absorbed in observing the famous man's personality. Grounds of personal ambition, maybe, Speransky put in quietly, and of state interest of some, to some extent, said Prince Andrei. What do you mean? asked Speransky quietly, lowering his eyes. I'm an admirer of Montesquieu replied Prince André, and his idea that the principle of monarchies is honour seems to me incontestable. Certain rights and privileges for the aristocracy appear to me a means of maintaining that sentiment. A smile vanished from Speransky's white face, which was much more improved by the change. Probably Prince André's thought interested him. If you regard the question from that point of view, he began, pronouncing French with evidently difficulty, evident difficulty, and speaking even slower than in Russian, but quite calmly. Speransky went on to say that honour, le honneur, cannot be upheld by privileges harmful to the service, that honour is either a negative concept of not doing what is blameworthy, or it is a source of emulation in pursuit of condemnation and rewards, which recognise it. His arguments were concise, simple and clear. An institution upholding honour, the source of emulation, is one similar to Legion d'Honneur of the great Emperor Napoleon. Not harmful, but helpful to the success of the service, but not a class or court privilege. I do not dispute that, but it cannot be denied that court privileges have attained the same end, returned Prince André. Every courtier considers himself bound to maintain his position worthily. Yet you do not care to avail yourself of the privilege, Prince, said Speransky, indicating by a smile that he wished to finish amiably an argument which was embarrassing for his companion. If you 
will do me the honour of calling on me on Wednesday, he added. I will, after talking with Magnitsky, let you know what may interest you, and shall also have the pleasure of a more detailed chat with you. Closing his eyes, he bowed a la Francais. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> a la Francais. Without taking leave and trying to attract as little attention as possible, he left the room. All right, there we go. There's our introduction to someone called Speransky, who's a very big deal in the military, and Prince Andre having a conversation with him. It's about all I got from that chapter. It was a very difficult one to pay attention to. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.